welcome to the Bro Nova Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Okay, everyone, welcome to the podcast this week. I'm with Gabe Kazan. Yeah. Nice. I got it. You got it. Okay. <laughs> Gabe is a registered therapeutic counselor, registered yoga, yoga teacher, and art therapist, uh, and holds a background in both traditional therapy and coaching with a specialty in facilitating uh, maybe men's discovery, we can call it, or men's transformational coaching. So naturally, we connected. Uh, to no surprise to anyone who listens week in, week out. Gabe, you just mentioned something that is interesting because I find myself saying things like the crisis of masculinity, but I'm also a very empirically minded person. And when I say things like that, I, I, I think I should quantify it. So if you were to quantify this crisis, um, which crisis are you describing first of all, and then how would you quantify it? Great question. Um, yeah, that's a t- that's um, a, what comes to my mind right away is uh, Warren Farrell's work. I don't know if you know Warren Farrell. Um, he wrote a book in the '80s called "The Myth of Male Power," and then in 2018 he wrote a book about boys called "The Boy Crisis." Mm. And uh, that book, "The Boy Crisis," is just full of data on the statistics like the, the quantifiable measurables um, around how boys are failing in schools and how men are actually falling behind women in so many metrics in across the board of our society, in academia, in corporate, in, um, yeah, even enrolling in, in post-secondary. They're just not as much, and never mind, like, being blown away by, by women um, dominating in so many industries and uh there's another guy named uh what's his name reeves who wrote a book on boys and men just last year and he goes even deeper into the statistics that can no longer be ignored uh around the same types of stats of of men failing not to mention we have the you know the male suicide rate and all the all that and um yeah there's issues and i mean i like to see it as more a qualitative experience because my data as an art therapist is about stories and making meaning and making sense through story. Uh, but the numbers are there and the numbers don't lie. Yeah. I'm familiar with, um, the Reeves book. I'm trying to get him on, uh, my, my podcast because he, he has a very, he's interesting because I think he's a, has a journalistic background. He's not clinical. And from listening to him talk, it, it seems like more a lot of developmental metrics. So <clears throat> friendships, um, relationships, um, cl- like definition social behavior, so interaction, collaboration, uh, empathy, connectivity. These types of metrics are where a lot of boys fail. And then the waterfall effect is not being able to, to be, you know, again, like classically definitively productive in society. So holding jobs, part of a relationship, uh, contributing to a community, whether it be 
like we think about local governmental community or actually like part of a part of a, a group of people like a church or a sports team um and part of that conversation too is you know acknowledging that like, two things can be true at once and one thing can be true of you know existing in a patriarchy and then also having pockets of boys and men who struggle um and when I think – that's probably something you have thought about, I would imagine. Um, when I think about that, I, I, I go definitely qualitative, you know, because for the person who's struggling, regardless of their identity, you know, hearing them talk and their stories, it's it's relevant that they've, they have had, you know, societal advantages, like, of course, because that is part of their experience, but – if someone's in crisis, like they don't, it's not really relevant in that moment, the comparative advantages they've had, you know, if, if they're, if they're really struggling <laughs> in that moment, at least it's not really benefiting them. You felt, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think the myth of male power gets into that too, with, uh, like, as, these are like Warren Farrell was around in the seventies and he, he was his, so he goes way back and he would be, um, he would be the only man at a feminism conference, you know, in 1970, whatever. And he'd be like, what's going on here? Why am I the only guy? So he was steeped in it. And then he started to pull on these threads and, um, pull out all sorts of angles and perspectives on the pressures on men that are uh, overlooked. And when we just look at the metrics of uh, numbers or the pay gap or what have you, um, without taking into account, well, I mean, traditionally, maybe 70s and prior, the man was often expected to be the breadwinner for the entire family. Things have shifted, where now uh, we've, you know, created this, um, Two, there's necessity for two incomes in in like the metrics of of maintaining a home, um, but the fact that the man got paid more was also kind of dovetailing into the fact that women could have babies and know that their man would be able to cover that, um, and <clears throat> so there's all these angles that gets get lost. And I'm glad you brought up the word patriarchy because that is one that I like to. Uh, address head on because a lot of the conversation these days um, uses that word as a scapegoat for all that is wrong and troubled and not working in the world and uh, and I like to go back to the etymology of it and find that in its origins it simply means the leadership of men that's all it is it's, it doesn't have to be this scapegoat like let's Let's take that off the table for a moment and say if there's a crisis uh, of masculinity, a crisis between men and women, then what we need is actually men to lead better just with new orientational uh, maps. Um, and so what we actually need is to stop villainizing the so-called patriarchy and uh, for men to show up and do the work of leading um, and I like to go back to Robert Bly's book, Iron John. And that was, that's like a really core foundational um, text for me. 
And one of the subtexts in that book was his serious concern for uh, the softening of men and the soft male syndrome. And I think we've reached this epidemic point where there's a there's an inversion happening where we have um, masculinized femininity and feminized masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, you know, in uh, in more common terms, I remember making a post last summer where I just like spat out the truth of this pattern, and I ruffled a lot of feathers. I posted it on Facebook, and it was called "Boss Girls and Nice Guys." <laughs> and um you know just playing with nice guy syndrome and the epidemic of that and yeah how we also live in this really women's empowered um post-feminist era which is great to a point and where i um, actually solve problems with my clients are how to make relationships work and the point where um those structures and patterns become problematic is the point at which uh, man-woman relating uh, isn't satisfying and people aren't happy and their sex lives aren't working or their personal lives aren't working. And um, so that's that's usually where I find a lot of the men I work with, um, sometimes sent to me by the woman in their life, um, but sometimes it's them saying, yeah, I need to fix the relationship. But what happens is after they start working with me and actually taking the actions to fix the relationship a little ways down the journey, they realize that they actually now are here for themselves and they're here to make themselves better and to orient to their purpose, which is when I start to celebrate because I'm like, yeah, and that's what's going to help your relationship when you're anchored in your purpose, staff in the ground, nothing will shake your grip from knowing who you are and what you need to do. And that's what's going to make you the trustworthy man leading the relationship as well. Anyway, that's um, that's a bit of me just sort of spitfiring onto uh, some mm-hmm. common terms and how I like to play with them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to return to the, like how you define the soft man, because that's also, I think a good idea that isn't being discussed with a lot of nuance. So that's one. But the other thing too, you know, you, you mentioned, um, the, instead of kind of, um, using patriarchy as a pejorative, but rather just redefining how men lead, what parts of, you know, the traditional communities, family, societal structure would you keep and what parts would you change? And cause I think the concern, the concern that I felt even in that is like, that sounds like you're saying that men should lead exclusively, you know, and, and maybe you do mean that maybe you don't, but I think that would be for the parts of my audience who haven't really thought about this before. Cause that was my reaction. So I'd be curious to hear that expanded on. Yeah. Um, no, no, I don't mean that at all. Um, I've been married 13 years and leadership is always a dance. It's always a dance. Leadership is a robe that we put on and we can put on or take off. I like to say rather than leadership being a position, leadership is about presence. And presence is a core masculine quality of showing up and just Mm -hmm. being with. Um, showing up for the hard stuff. So uh, 
There's a dance of leadership, but here's the real danger in men-women relationships is that if guys, because I'll just stay in my lane here for a while and and focus on guys, if guys aim for um, like inner balance and to just be balanced um, and then be balanced in the relating, there's something that gets missed. And this uh, is where the nice guy comes in and nice guy syndrome And I only know this because I'm a recovering nice guy and I really met my nice guy syndrome (laughs) through a divorce and through going through the hell of losing a relationship and and crawling out of that going, what the hell just happened? And then realizing I I was a chronic people pleaser and I was putting her first and that eventually that I became so untrustworthy because of that. Um, So my my game of killing the nice guy with the men that I serve is an extension of my own process of recovering from nice guy syndrome. Um, but I would say that what gets lost if when we f- forget uh, our deeper octave of our core masculine gifts, including the dark uh, masculine, uh, when that is lost, a relationship can become depolarized and neutralized and it can lose its spark and uh, men and women will be living like roommates and wondering where did the sexual polarity go? So like any dance, I'm not prescribing a right or a wrong, um, but, uh, and I know that uh, my message and what I'm about is not for everyone, Um, but if men feel that primal uh, desire for more, and the primal desire to tap into those leadership gifts and the darker gifts of their desire and their healthy pride. Um, well, then that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about bringing about and bringing out. And, um, and yeah, and, and then the impact on the relationship is actually uh, going to be positive um, mm-hmm. and create that spark. Yeah, what I'm hearing is, is not losing the, the mystery and the danger. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, being, you know, like like I personally love it when I tell my girlfriend something about myself and she's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know you did that. Or you've read that or you had that experience. And I'm like, yeah, baby. (laughs) That's what I'm I'm picking up is that kind of like don't be so – rather instead of being in a negative way, uh, be, you know, so – open-minded and multi-experienced and curious that there's just a lot of any, any day of the week you could walk back in the house and have done talked to interacted with observed all kinds of things that are interesting and new. Yeah. For me personally. Yep. <laughs> Is yeah, it, am absolutely. I barking up the right tree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, I think, um, yeah, whatever, you know, lights your fire, you know, and keeps you lit. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think there's way too much eggshell walking, uh, yeah. these days. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's humor and, uh, that brings back the, uh, the spark and the, the sexual polarity. And the other thing I wanted to add was that it's more of an instinct. It's more of an embodied instinct, uh, inside of the relationship, uh, and the, if we could define sexual polarity for a moment, um, we could describe it as the arc of energy between two bodies. 
And so that arc of energy is an embodied experience that's in our instinct. And so we have to take a little effort to divorce ourselves from the ideological possessions of of all what's up here in the mind of how we think it should be or whatever um, is coming at us around, you know, what's right and wrong and, and drop into the guts, drop in. And in the subtitle of my book, I use the words backbone, heart and balls. And that's like a, for me, a sacred Trinity inside of the masculine uh, revival is we got to go down and in and get our power back because a lot of the times guys will give their power away. Um, and we know this, that when a guy is given his balls away to a boss or uh, a career or sometimes to his woman, um, it's a fight to get them back. But ultimately, everybody in that equation needs him to get his balls back. So we got to have the conversation of balls, backbone, and heart for the depth, um, all of it. Mm-hmm. A way I observe a lot of my peers giving their power away is with substances and just not questioning it, doing it because it, it to me, like it, it, it is kind of disturbing how often people acknowledge something in their life. That's not good for them, but they don't do it anyway and don't really seem to care that mm. it's not good for them. Like, ah, uh, well, like, uh, this town, I kind of hate it, but I'll never leave. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there's a settling there. There's a settling. Settling. Exactly. Settling. And maybe not what the fuck is wrong with you, but just where's the spark? You know, where's the, the love, the, 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 the searching for something more, um, so what are the common trip ups then? Cause to use anecdotal experiences, maybe from your, your, um, clients that you work with, you know, are there any common themes of the stories you've heard over and over, whether it's work, you know, actually I heard you say something on a different podcast that was really interesting, which was that workaholism is the most rewarded addiction, which I thought was a great line. So what, what are the, you know, if you were to kind of uh, story storyfy it, or you know, the kind of like make it like a a tale you would tell kids about, you know, the the common traps that the men fall into. What what are the kind of narratives that you see over and over? Well, um, one would be uh, going numb, and maybe that ties into addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like to say is that there's a difference between s- sedation and meditation because when we self-sedate we're just kind of numbing ourselves in homeopathic doses just to cope right just to cope with and get through get through the day but meditation is a wake-up call um and i mean it could look like anything it could look like movement it could i mean i'm not staying specifically meditation but the meditation of waking up is uh intense because it shows us the truth. And when we get clarity on the truth, it can be overwhelming for the amount of responsibility we have to take. Um, so there's a couple of patterns. And when I, uh, I like to talk about the systemic sedation of men and, uh, 
one of the patterns is uh, if we look back into how we got here, because we have to take the long view and see how did men become the men, the mold of manhood we have today. And one of the patterns to look at is uh, war trauma and how most people in our society have inherited a couple generations of war trauma. And as men, what that looks like is an unwillingness to feel, an inability to be with the feeling life and a shutting off of. What's the number one way that men and boys get shamed in our society? Don't be weak. Don't show weakness. So, and, and if you were a soldier in a war, you would have to override feeling just to get through. And, and cause it could be life or death. You, you can't go off and have your feelings when you've been given some marching orders and you got to go get out there to battle. So on some level, the, the ability to contain emotion and to drive through and do hard things is useful. But when, when it um, becomes systematized uh, and guys are afraid to feel and uh, one of, one of uh, my favorite writers is Francis Weller. And he, he talks about the two main mod- sins of modern life. And one is going numb and the other is forgetting. So that numbing, that inability to feel is, is one thing. And then if we go back even further, the other uh, story of how men got here, we got here as men, is the dislocation from the deep ground of the sacred masculine. And that's what Robert Bly was writing about too in Iron John. Um, since the Industrial Revolution, when men were uh, separated from our land whether it was farmland or hunting grounds or guilds that we would work with, uh, and there was a father-son relationship. Robert Bly likes to say that the the relationship that was damaged most because of the Industrial Revolution was the father-son relationship. Because now, all of a sudden, dad has to go out to either the factory or the office building all day and um, come back and provide a paycheck. And therefore, his uh, emotional, what do you call it, like his range of emotion, his, his range of affect is no longer part of the experience of the family. So when he is basically only providing a paycheck, his uh, presence is actually characterized by absence. Mm. And his sense of self-worth starts to get equated with his net worth. Uh, which, you know, we can clearly see that that is problematic uh, on many levels. But these are some of the ways I would say that the story of how modern crisis of masculinity happened um, and created this um, urgency to the, the question of men being willing to feel, men being willing to find different centers of power, um, also because the pathway to purpose is different than it was for previous generations. Nowadays, we have a different pathway to purpose from maybe our fathers and grandfathers who just did what they had to. And now there's a lot more opportunity, but there's also a lot more opportunity to self-sedate and to end up uh, playing video games, living in your parents' basement, and um, not even asking yourself, what's my purpose? Uh, So yeah, with... 
social media, porn addiction, you name it. There's so many ways that men uh, can get robbed of their vitality and their uh, fire and their sense of orientation uh, in the world. So uh, maybe that's some of the story that I would tell around how we got here. <laughs> it doesn't sound bleak, but I also see there, there's lots of opportunity in it. hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. To get involved in the conversation, you can send me an email, contact at bronouveau.com or find me on Instagram at bronouveaupod. Please share this episode out with someone who you think will enjoy it and you can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For full-length video episodes, head over to YouTube and search Bro Nouveau Podcast. Enjoy. Yeah, there there is. So numbing, being numb. I mean, it's it's true, and it's so obvious to I don't know any man listening, and I'm sure obvious as well to all genders listening who deal with men because it's just it's so painfully obvious even with basic interactions like eye contact you know being able to reciprocate an inquiry about someone's well-being and their emotional state very basic ways of connecting and it's it's interesting because i think you know like if a big research institute like like uh, Pew were to do a survey of describing the current state and describing the inability to feel most the results I would I would I would guess would be astoundingly people would rate they think that's a bad procedure or that's a bad way that's an ineffective way to to act but then at the same time it, de facto in real life there is that shaming of adults too, or by adults too, rather, not just by kids, but by adults of a boy who does feel when really, if you think about it, like that is an important part of growing up and an important part of developing into a functioning adult, like the a lion cub or, you know, a, a bear cub has moments where they mess up and they're, you know, ashamed and they're scared and they get reprimanded. But that's part of growing up, you know, being, it, it's kind of like, uh, also interesting pulling it back into the conversation of where our society is going. What, what society is calling for is, in my estimation, is a more well-rounded man, particularly in the United States, white men of privilege, more well-rounded, more everything, more sensitive, more self-aware, more generous of their resources. But, to get to that point, I feel like we also have to encourage them to be well-rounded as kids and adolescents with their emotions. You know, you can't, you can't really bridge that gap without a change in how we raise kids. So that's my biggest thought off the bat is it maybe comes down to developmental psychology too. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you talk about boys, I spent a bunch of years when I first got into art therapy 
working with boys groups. And I, I even wrote a thesis inside of the work of working with boys. And one thing that uh, Warren Farrell writes about in The Boy Crisis is how much schools are actually failing boys um, in so many ways. And in my research, what I found was this term uh, masculine strivings. And somehow, sometimes in certain school contexts, masculine strivings are not uh, celebrated. And they're in fact exiled from from the acceptable range of what's possible. Uh, and uh, I think that's a tragic loss and creates a lot of trouble with boys obviously need movement. Um, girls need movement too. But um, this, uh, this need to project their will and um, play and, and rough and tumble play is essential. Only in the last six months have I gotten back into martial arts myself and I realized how much that was missing from my life. And now I'm doing jujitsu and I have two boys who are four and nine and we wrestle a lot. Um, so fun. But I, yeah, I see how nourishing it is. And when we wrestle and when we grapple, um, we build deep levels of t- trust in ourselves and in others because we have to play to that edge, play to that edge. And the, the one uh, taboo inside the conversation of men and health is aggression because men get mixed signals about what's appropriate and when aggression is encouraged and other times aggression is shamed. I grew up playing hockey in Canada, so I was always encouraged to be more aggressive on the ice. Um, And there are spaces in sports mostly and martial arts maybe, fighting arts where aggression is celebrated, but but then there are other uh, spaces where maybe in academics or in school um, it becomes demonized. And so there's a mixing of messages. Uh, but yeah, there's this one author, um, blanking on his name right now. He wrote the series of books called Phallos. And he talks about the way aggression can be a doorway into the male soul. And it's, it's like nourishment. And I only know because I've been training now in jujitsu and getting primal and doing this uh, learning on the mat. And when I step out of those training sessions, I just feel completely altered. And the oxytocin, the dopamine, the the chemical cocktail that comes just from going down on my hands and knees and getting real primal and, you know, uh, it's like there's nothing there's nothing else like that. And and it uh, shows me my patterns. I'm learning so much from this. And I think that's also what guys need is we learn through our bodies, men or women. We learn through our bodies, but we need to... Uh, push we need to shove we need to uh, lift um, and also to address the depleted testosterone levels we need to lift heavy things we need to squat we need to get sunlight there's lots of lifestyle hacks um, that can remedy uh, a lot of the crisis and bring men back into a sense of agency and embodied possibility agency and embodied possibility i love that yeah i i completely agree in my experiences corroborate that on the the primal side you know i've played competitive rugby since i was 13 and i just 
love it. Like, like it, I haven't played since the summer and I was doing a workout class and I like, it got to that level of intensity where I like tapped into the, like into it, you know, like it, it's like, it's like putting your finger in a socket, you know, and like getting that energy it gives me. And I was just like, Oh my God, I miss playing rugby so badly. Cause it, it's the most amazing feeling. And yeah, I think it's, it's hugely important to also humbling, right? It's empowering and humbling. Cause there's always someone who will best anyone, you know, there's only one best in any modality in the world and they're only the best for a short amount of time, you know, and that's the most humbling and also empowering thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm, you know, I, I, I can walk the line, I think like with, with, um, aggression, but I'm, I, I don't, I don't hold back aggression because I really trust myself with when it's merited. And I think it's very important to, you know, defend oneself and physically, if it has to be, sure, but I just mean much more relationally because the feeling of of letting someone abuse you verbally, you know, or, or walk over your space psychologically is a bad feeling. And I don't think anyone should have to feel that way. And we should not be conditioning people to not have the permission to defend their psychological space, you know, and, and if that comes, and that comes with conflict and that comes with saying sorry too, you know, like a lot of times with strangers, I'll, I'll be like, you know, I'll say something and, and think I'm doing the right thing, you know, speaking up for someone or speaking up for myself and they explain why I was wrong. And then you have to say sorry. But I think personally for me, I'll take that equation and I'll eat humble pie because it means that it prevents you know, my psychological space being, being intruded on. Right. Yeah. Boundaries. Um, yeah. And that, that, that reminds me again of Robert Bly. Cause I think there's a line, uh, in iron John that says something like most modern men have completely forgotten how to defend their space. Um, and that, you know, goes along with that systemic sedation. Uh, and I personally think uh, there's that old saying, you know, men, are, men live li- lives of quiet desperation. I think more men need the invitation to just come out and play and connect. Sometimes the scariest thing is just come out out of your house, you know, <laughs> and get out of your patterns. Um, and I remember when I first joined a men's group, uh, as a participant, after a couple of weeks, I had a revelation that I had, I had, I had uh, a fear of men. I was like, I don't really trust you guys. I don't trust any of you. And I'm just realizing that I have a conditioned uh, mistrust of men. Yeah. And then I, you know, we, there was some discussion in the room. There's like eight or nine guys, and and pretty much every guy put up his hand that he felt the same way. Yeah. So here's where it gets interesting. I was like, well. What what is um what is that useful for to to recognize that I don't trust men and this is where it becomes really uh, important and this is when I had a quantum leap in my own personal growth I realized that my mistrust of men was a mirror and a hologram of my mistrust of myself 
And this came months and months later when I was trying to figure out how to build my business and I was bumping up against my own levels of learned helplessness and all that I didn't know and how I had to go deeper into self-trust and self-leadership. Um, and then it all kind of clicked in. I was like, oh, right. And so this is also part of the big um, core of what I do with men is I, I confront them. Because the difference between therapy and coaching is often that co in coaching, we're future focused and I get to be confrontational and I have expressed permission from the guys I coach to confront them. Like the way I like to say it is that we're all liars. You're a liar. I'm a liar. We're all lying. We're all lying all the time in order to just keep on the social mask and keep the character armor on that we carry on. Ram Das used to say, um, this is the modern mantra that's going through everyone's mind. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is how it is. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is how it is. Like it's almost like the fear, right? And the calcification of the persona. So in order to actually grow, because the character armor has now become so small and tight, it no longer fits and it's frustrating and it's unbearable. Um, we need to confront those lies. And so the guys I work with give me express permission to confront them on their lies. And I walk them through some ritual process that then they debrief with me around breaking up with those lies and uh, digging deeper into like what is the truth and fire in their guts and what do they need to do to, to step deeper into their purpose. Purpose, power, and courage. That's the three sides of the spear tip. That's the big one, purpose. That's the one that, you know, with my search for purpose, I feel like sometimes it's so clear and I feel that by being present and just following my instinct, then it leads to my purpose. But then other times there are parts of me that want to define it more explicitly or... So that's the piece I... P-E-A-C-E... I try to make with it. Uh, but that's, that's the biggest thing. And I think that's what, why I created the show was to encourage men particularly, but everyone, anyone listening just to think about purpose and, and care and give yourself the chance to find excellence, you know, and find mm. whether it's connectivity, the idea of consciousness, you know, whatever whatever it is that gives you that life force of being a light. And yeah, man, there's so many things I would love to learn more about, you know, with your work, but one in particular in our, in our last five minutes would just be, you know, art therapy that you do. How does that differ than say talk therapy or somatic therapy? And how did you, yeah, let's start that. <laughs> Um, well, so art therapy is a hybrid discipline um, that is part therapy and part art. And there are many different delineations of how art therapy can show up. There's different forms of it. Uh, but basically, it's a focus on the image. And uh, including in the process images and objects and that have meaning for the client. Um, so it could look like making art and having a conversation about what the image is. It could look like spontaneous art making. Uh, and it, it, it's really just there to serve as a vehicle for meaning making 
and for self-reflection. There's a famous art therapy uh, book by art therapist Bruce Moon, and it's called The uh, Canvas Mirror. And the idea is that your canvas, whatever you're creating, is just a mirror for you. When we make something, we can see ourselves in it. And even that, you know, it can even be if you're building a fire. You're going to build a fire, and we're all going to sit around the same fire, but you're going to see something different in it when you're gazing into it in those moments where you're just settling into it. And I might see something relevant for me, but but that's um, that's part of the art. Uh, is like teasing apart the meaning and creating a container and a relationship with someone who can hold the journey with you and help you unpack what you need to get out of the looking. Um, so that's art therapy in a nutshell. I mean, there's talking involved or sometimes I've had art therapy sessions where there's very little talking and we do a lot of art making and we talk a little bit. But they say, I think it's a Jungian idea that the hands will solve uh, the problem that the mind cannot. The mind so, so it's it's yeah. doing, it's it's making, and it's actually how we were designed to to communicate. Like if we were in an ancient fishing village and we were trying to fix the fishing nets and we we're talking about our problems, about what's going on in your relationship, and we'd be using our hands as we go. So in a way, it sort of breaks the spell of of just being and talking and and having to be in the abstract and, and make something you can cleave into and, and around. Good for men, I would think. Yeah. Well, it's funny because most people think art therapy is only for kids. They, there's just an yeah. assumption because a lot of youth don't have the cognitive to get into looking at their problems. And if they've been through some stuff that needs looking at, then they send them to art therapy. Um, and so then I would surprise some of their parents and be like, oh, yeah, adults can do art therapy, too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's scary. Like you know, most adults have been taught that they can't make art and that it's not—they're no good at that. And it's not about making the Mona Lisa. It's about expanding the play range and and making meaning. And yeah, awesome, Gabe. Well, thank you very much. I will link to your website and also the the books you you referenced. Um, one parting question would be around. I noticed on your website you do um, make message or like pay homage to the native tribe or nation that whose land you now live on, which is something I feel like most people in the Americas just don't think about. So why is that important to you? Uh, well, I wouldn't be where I am. Uh, and who I am today, if it wasn't for the lifeways of Native American um, medicine uh, healing traditions. Um, yeah, with the amount of time we have, I'll be able to say about that much. So that's why cool. it's meaningful to me. Um, we could probably spend another episode yeah. just talking about um, Sundance and uh, Sweat Lodge and how significant they were to me, but also just how useful also it is to start to come back home to like earth-based rituals um in general agreed i'll leave with that it's uh you know bring some awareness to a lot of different parts of our history current history that's problematic past history that's disappointing you know i, I learned today about 
um, more about American intervention in the Philippines and in Hawaii, for example. History doesn't get taught, so there's a lot to learn. Um, but thank you so much, Gabe. Man, enjoy the rest of your day. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the work you do.